Stories within stories within stories. Whoa. Meanings that dig deeper. The theology behind the discussions. We're Josh and Brandon, and this is Crossover Club Deep Dive. So we wanted to address this uh, thing that popped up in our last episode. Um, it was Doom, and we were talking about both video game and movie violence. And I know we've um, we've discussed this quite a few times in the past, and how a lot of people find it quite controversial that most films or games have violence and therefore it's not in any way godly or in any way good for our society. And um, I think it's great for us to address this in a nice, short little package. Indeed we do. So, I'm just going to throw you in the deep end. Josh, what is your view on video games slash movie violence? I mean, it's a bit of a mixed one. Um, I... uh... I remember doing uh, in in A level like uh, an EPQ. It's like a, a coursework where you just do whatever essay subject you want. It can be about literally anything. And uh, I was looking at this idea of video game storytelling. And when I was doing my research, searched on Google Scholar, you know, stuff about video yeah. game narratives, and all of it, all these scholarly articles are just about, do video games make people violent? Are they a cause of violence? And all of that. And um, it really upset me that that was actually the the dominant conversation in the medium when Mm -hmm. in things like movies, books, well, basically every other form of art, um, we've kind of moved past that point and can appreciate that they have more to say and there is more to say about those media than just, oh, do they cause violence, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I think video games, there are a lot that exist that are very artistic um, yeah. and, yeah, just brilliant uh, insights into the human condition and all of that, beautiful games. But they're vastly overshadowed by this uh, popular view of games, which is, you know, the the shoot 'em ups the beat 'em ups the bamboo killing and the and the stealing and the robbing and the grand theft autoing and the the assassinating people and all of that like it is a huge part of video game culture and i i think a lot of it comes from that foundation that video games originally were made by computer programmers for computer nerds effectively like it was a very niche thing uh, a lot of it came from like the Dungeons and Dragons kind of community where people wanted to use these newfangled machine thingies to try and emulate the games that they love to play. And, you know, that, that kind of community of people who, you know, wanted to be a wizard or see what it would be like to be in the Lord of the Rings in real life, that kind of thing. Mm. So naturally, as the technology grew, like that was the sort of subject matter that was explored first because, you know, that was those were the people who were into it. But as as they got more popular and the mass appeal and, you know, with arcades and all of that, like anything could be a game. Anything can be a game because it's just a simulation. So 
you know, lots of things have been explored, but it makes sense that because the roots were in maybe more violent content, that's why it's become dominant. So in terms of the actual view I have on the violence itself, I think inherently it might not cause people to be violent. Um, uh, in fact, I would say the only times it would uh, encourage people to be violent is if they already have like violent tendencies as a person. But I think the thing that's more insidious about this, and this, it was only recently that I kind of came to understand this when I was talking with a friend about it, um, this idea of the normalization of violence, I think is is the thing that's problematic with it, that it's not a case of, you know, if someone partakes in violent acts in a game, are they going to be violent in real life? It's not necessarily about that. It's about if you can if you can make someone just kill without remorse in a simulation, how long is it before they stop having that same sort of remorse in the real world? That's the thing that's a lot more insidious and something that the media as a whole can contribute to. And I mean, we see similar stuff with most of the content that's in films. I mean, um, well, all that sort of media, sorry, like films, TV, video games, especially because they're so lucrative and in everyone's face all the time. Um, another big example, I suppose, is the idea of like when you look in sitcoms, this idea of like sexuality being presented in a very particular way um, and how that lifestyle is then lived out by people. And that's something that, you know, as, as Christians, we believe is not necessarily the, the way to live. But because it's one of those things that it's it's in TV, it's in movies, it's in video games, like it becomes something that can be normalized in society. Um, so it is important to address these kind of things to, to see what kind of impact they're having on us. But inherently, like one individual game being violent isn't necessarily going to cause violence. Yeah, man, I, I totally agree. Um, I just wanted to highlight one bit that you actually said at the beginning um, of your description there, and that was emphasizing the human condition and i think um as we've agreed upon before that actually violence or something that we may not deem acceptable um that comes through media can actually serve towards a narrative or a message or, or something that a creator is trying to express definitely and quite often um we've obviously looked at a few of scorsese's films and yeah. Some people would initially be quite disgusted or like um, find the content rather controversial. And it's like, yes, yeah. but that's kind of the point. He's, yeah, yeah. He, he's quite literally dealing with the concept of um, the human condition, how we sin, how we make problems. And it's looking at it in a very human way and displaying the consequences of these actions and how real these actions are. Yeah. And so yeah. that's where I feel like there's there's this fine line in presenting this kind of violence or controversy. Um it's quite evident obviously in the the Passion of the Christ. A lot of people found that to be very disturbing where it's it's simply demonstrating facts in terms of mm. Christ's death his sacrifice for us wasn't fluffy. It wasn't he was just tied yeah. up with some rope and he, he gracefully hung there 
it was an absolute brutal form yeah yeah um, definitely torture and death so and i think it was quite good on um mel gibson's behalf to create something that visually educated people on how gruesome actually was and therefore through that we start to see the the beauty of hold on one second there'll be a very slight intermission in today's program Oh, how about that airplane food, huh? Lovely weather we're having, folks. All right, take two. I think with, with this idea of violent media, like say the Passion of the Christ, I think it's it is important that stuff like that exists, especially as Christians, that we get to acknowledge just the the fullness of what happened in the Bible, because there's a lot of gruesome stuff in there, and the crucifixion is among the goriest. Um, But uh, obviously the thing to remember with that stuff is there is a point where, you know, we don't want to introduce people to the fullness of that gore at a certain age. Like that's, that's why that movie is an 18, you know? And yeah, yeah, definitely. I I think that's one of the biggest problems with uh, the whole violence in video games thing is because you've got kids who will just like, be like, oh, mom, can I play this game? It's like, yeah, sure, whatever. And it's like they're being subjected to something that the developers of that game, I mean, nowadays it's kind of expected that people are going to play a game that's too old for them, but like yeah. the developer is specifically trying to get within that age bracket for a reason, and it's because mm-hmm. of the kind of audience that they want to buy it and that sort of thing. So if you are making something that is going to be extremely violent and stuff, you're you're already like kind of assuming that the audience isn't going to be impressionable young people who still haven't fully figured out the world and that, that sort of thing. So that can be where it's problematic. And yeah, I guess when it comes to learning about violence in the Bible, um, which is something we'll be talking about a bit, I'm sure um, that's something that I think is really hard to introduce kids to because it's like, yeah, you can't just dress it up like it's this kind of fantasy violence that we see in a lot of stuff where it's like, oh no, it's uh, the good guys versus like the literal monsters. It's like, well, no, it's humans versus humans a lot of the time. And yes, some of those humans are, you know, in line with God's will more or less and others are less so, but it's not that one side's evil and the other side's good. And, um, we actually see that none of the violence in the Bible, I'd say, is uh, is the result of people being obedient to God. There are cases where God like commands people to to uh, fight a war or in a battle or whatever, and He helps mm-hmm. them win. But mm-hmm. the situation that causes that battle to occur is always the result of someone not acting within God's will. Like yeah, if, if, exactly. if everyone yeah. acted within that code of like the Ten Commandments and even just as simple as love thy neighbor and love God, like there would be no violence. There would be no conflict, but we know humans are fallible creatures. And um, as it says in Jeremiah, the heart is deceitful and wicked above all things who can know it. And uh, I believe it was Ezekiel who said, uh, there is no one righteous, not even one. And that's something that Jesus quotes himself when uh, the Pharisees uh, are like, good teacher, and he's like, why do you call me good? There's no one good except for God alone. So you're either going against what 
we know about human nature or you're literally saying Jesus is God. Um, so yeah, like that's the thing. Viol- violence is the result of a broken human nature. And yeah. obviously that's something that the older we are and the more experience we have of the world, I think the the easier it is to be able to look at that without being maybe affected by that. Yeah. Um, so like with the example of video games, this is the thing I love about them is that you can force someone to adopt the identity of this character and to actually perform the actions that that character is doing. And as a result, there's that dissonance between what you would want to do and what the character is doing because they are that character. Um, I haven't haven't played the whole thing, but I have heard a lot about The Last of Us, and I know there are sections of yeah. that where you are not doing what you, the player, wants to do. You are doing what Joel wants to do because yeah, yeah. he wants to, like, he's the father figure. He wants to save his his surrogate daughter, kind of thing. Um, and that's something that I think you know, as a, as an adult, or at least as someone who's more mature and has an understanding of morality and that sort of thing it's one of those things where you can engage with that and see the violence that occurs and even kind of pseudo enact the violence by playing the game. And you can understand it from a distance and not be so affected by it. But I think, um, yeah, when it comes to like a kid who's still got very much this idea of like a black and white morality and something's either the good guys or the bad guys, it can be very problematic. For definite. Yeah. I totally agree. And it's it's a moment where I feel like that um that violence, as you suggested, Joel, um, well technically you as a player committing those acts of violence really facilitates the idea of him wanting to protect. And if anything, you're kind of getting that complex human morality out of that. Yeah, definitely. Um so yeah, I think that's a really important point about how we process it, particularly at a certain age and uh, at a maturity. Totally, totally get that. That's a great point. Um, I think the other thing that we wanted to explore as well was that how we're not necessarily encouraging violence that doesn't serve the plot or doesn't serve the narrative. And so that's yeah, why violence for the sake of violence. Exactly. So yeah. I think that's why we really don't um, agree or approve of horror as yeah. such, because yeah. um, as we've said, it really just kind of facilitates a morbid curiosity. And yeah, yeah. I get that humans, we are curious, um, particularly towards the unknown. However, just because we are curious, it doesn't mean that it should be justified in watching something that that doesn't serve. It doesn't facil- facilitate a place of learning or yeah. gaining good from it. Exactly. And yeah. Yeah. It's it's quite messed up. Um, so there have been scenarios where I've I've heard people even talking about particular horror um, plots. And I've just been disturbed at even yeah. the idea of it, man. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so I think the people who may be listening and find find it a bit controversial in terms of we're supporting the idea of violence. What we're saying is we don't support violence, but we completely understand and think it's incredibly important to involve all aspects of the truth in yeah. a narrative. But we do not support a violence that 
doesn't hold anything but itself as the um the content yeah yeah i think that that is definitely an important thing and um what violence is if you think about like the conditions that cause it to arise usually obviously not all the time uh the example you just mentioned of course doesn't fit into this category but a lot of it is a form of conflict resolution gone really wrong where like yeah. two opposing forces i guess this is where we get the idea of like the good and evil narrative because it's the most simple uh clash of two opposing forces is if one mm-hmm. is good and the other's bad but it happens you know just when two parties want different things and if they can't cooperate if they can't find middle ground if they can't talk it out there's no way of negotiating out of the situation. As they say in uh, Star Wars 1, the negotiations were short and it, it turns to it turns to violence. And um, like that, that is the thing that reveals a lot about the human condition is how far people are willing to go to get the thing that they want. And I mean, we see a lot of, as well in the Bible, brutal examples of that where particularly when it comes to like the kings that... Um, really veered away from what god wanted and they would they would indulge violence a lot and they would like there's a there's a whole conspiracy um not like a conspiracy theory an actual like (laughs) conspiracy for the throne in second samuel i believe it is when david's children are fighting amongst each other yes yeah 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 so there's uh absalom and don't know the other one can't remember the other one what solomon uh not solomon solomon wasn't involved with that i don't think it was absalom and then his his half brother or whatever yes i know who you're referring to Um, Ah. i can't remember either I feel like this episode is just getting violent in itself. <laughs> we're, um, we're not we're not real Christians if we can't name all of David's sons. <laughs> I know, I know. You, I'm you're a fan of it. the Bible? Name every character. Go. <laughs> Do you know um, what's hilarious? Um, actually, no, I'll tell you after the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so with, with that um, that conspiracy, there's a lot of violence that occurs and it's mainly a power play because mm-hmm. one of the sons wants to get the throne, the other one is the heir to it, and so on and so forth. Allegiances form, it actually divides the nation of Israel in two. It's an ugly mess. And funnily enough, there's nowhere in that part where God's like, oh yes, I, I approve of this this violence. Yes, I approve of the manslaughter and like you go all the way back to the very first act of violence in the Bible, uh, the first murder, Cain and Abel. God warns Cain, like, if you do this, there will be consequences. Mm-hmm. And I'm mm-hmm. telling you now, you do not want to open this can of worms because, I mean, look at some of the atrocities that have happened today. And exactly. yeah. that's something that really occurred to me, actually, uh, <laughs> when I was when I was on one of my passive aggressive walks back from uni and trying to stay out of everyone's way. And, uh, mm-hmm. you, you know, even something as simple as like, 
I I very clearly telegraph which side of the pavement I'm walking on. Yeah. So that yeah. people have like ample time to get out of the way. And then there's like two two people who are stood side by side and they just don't move. So I have to step on the road. It's like, thanks guys. Really yeah. really appreciate that. Mm-hmm. And if I want to be a complete stickler and do the whole getting two meters out of their way, there's a chance I could get hit by a car. So I'm not <laughs> doing that. Uh, thanks, guys. Great job. Lovely show of human decency. Anyway, <laughs> just letting that little bit of pent up aggression out. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, so like when when you're aware of uh, of the things that happen in the Bible, and it really does show like this full human nature. It's a lot harder to be surprised at the things that people do nowadays because it's like that's always been within people, um, yeah. and it's something I know I've stressed a lot in our video, our videos, our podcasts. Is um, this idea that you know anyone is capable of both great good and great evil because we we walk that middle ground and we have the choice every day whether we live our lives in submission to God or in submission to our own will. And if we just follow what we want all the time, there is going to come a point where what we want and what someone else wants comes into contact and comes into a clash. And obviously it doesn't, doesn't mean we're just beating people up all the time, you know, but uh, I guess uh, it's, it's black Friday week. So, um, you know, that's, that is a thing that does happen. We we do hear of it, um, yeah. So I think that that's the central thing of of violence in the Bible. Again, there are times where you know God is like you know maybe not advocating, but showing the the kind of necessity yeah. of wiping out like a problem, and like these people are bringing lots of pain and suffering, and like exactly. kind of getting rid of them and it's it's not yeah, an yeah, easy yeah. thing to process like it's no, it's no, still no. an ugly reality but one of those things where at every turn it's like it, god uses it as a last resort exactly it's it's a hum it's a reality that humans have contributed towards yeah and yeah exactly as we've talked about plenty in the past the book of judges clearly demonstrates that the judges are all that god has to work with yeah he worked- yeah he works with humans, through humans, um, as demonstrated what, that Adam was a partner with God in the Garden of Eden. Not to say that Adam and humanity are on the same level as God, but God likes to work with humans. Yeah. And so when the judges were around and Israel were under repetitive oppression, a judge would come around and their acts would be gruesome and violent. And it's not that actually God advocated that or even wanted them to commit those acts, but he had to work with what he had. <laughs> Sim- yeah. Simple as it had to yeah. be, <laughs> we need to release these people from oppression. This person, this is literally all I have to work with. If it means that um, Samson has to pull down this building and crush everyone inside of it, then, you know, it's one of those things that, you're given such little detail about what God th- thinks and feels. Yeah, that that's a very good point. We we ju- I think that's the assumption that's made a lot by people reading the Bible, both believers and non-believers. This idea that, um, well, it's a fallacy that you see a lot in films as well, um, where, 
the amount of times I've argued with my siblings before Star Wars 9 came out and Kylo Ren turned good spoilers for episode 9, but you're really yep. not missing much. Um, so <laughs> they were they were all arguing about how Kylo Ren is, oh, he's the good guy, he's the good guy. It's like there's a difference between a character that we like and a character that is good. And there's a difference between a character that has a point and a character that is good or correct. Or, you know, like... yeah. He he does have a point in a lot of the things he talks about because he's a nuanced character. But the way he goes about being right, quote unquote, is not the right way to go about it at all. Like his body mm-hmm. count is incredibly terrible. Like the amount of people mm-hmm. that he's killed. Yeah. So that that's always the thing to remember. And I think in in movies we we tend to fall into this assumption that you know good and evil there's a protagonist and whatever they say is is what the movie is saying and if there's a particular character that has a a point and if the if the story gives that character room to have their point then we've just been conditioned by a lot of films not all of them there's a, there's plenty of films that tend to go under the radar for the mainstream audiences uh that have a more nuanced perspective on morality but we usually go, oh, well, you know, the movie is saying this thing. Um, that's why a lot of people got confused about Fight Club and thought yeah. that Fight Club's objective was to create a terrorist group like the one in Fight Club. But that's totally not what the film is about. It's a critique of that kind of mentality. And it's like, yeah, society has some things wrong with it if it produces these men, but mm-hmm. those men are not the solution to the problems in society. It's that idea that we diagnose the sickness of society by the evil that uh, it it brings out in people. And so that kind of thing, when we apply it to the Bible, it's like just because something is said in the Bible doesn't mean that it's God's opinion. Because, again, as you say, we don't have enough context of that. Uh, In fact, there's straight up, uh, Isaiah says it, in one of his uh, speeches to Israel, um, God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We can mm-hmm. we can never, on this side of eternity, understand God's motivations all the time. We we know enough about who He is to get an idea of His overall plan. Obviously, the the gospel, this idea that He wants to redeem rather than destroy. He wants yeah. to make something new and get rid of the old in order to to bring in actually that perfection once again. And the idea that he's not just going to, oh yeah, wipe everything out and start over, but actually to work with us in helping us deal with that stuff and yeah. you know move on from what was before and move into that perfection uh, through that sanctification process. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the perspective we get of God. But when it comes to individual, oh yeah, God did this really weird thing here. Or, you know, these people who were the representatives of God, like the judges or the generals or the kings or whatever, like these people did these things. Does that mean God approves of them? It's like, well, no, <laughs> not all the yeah. time. Uh, yeah, yeah, or yeah. maybe yes, some of the time we, we, we don't know, but it's, it's not as simple as, oh yeah. Like, um, the Israelites killed a bunch of people, uh, so that must mean that God agreed with them doing it. There were actually a lot of times where God didn't agree with them doing things because exactly. he didn't tell them to. So, Exactly. And I think it's 
particularly from, I think, a Christian perspective in that we've been brought up and told about how Christ, you know, he obviously said to his disciples, those who live by the sword, die by the sword. Mm, He didn't commit an act of violence. Although some people think that him flipping the tables is an act of violence (laughs) where I'd say compared to the rest of the Bible. And and yeah, that time when he went on a killing spree against all these (laughs) tables. Oh, and remember that time when he went through a proper like uh, metal phase and he, he, he just drained the life essence out of a tree. Do you remember that? Do you remember when he got arrested for murder for, for making a fig tree never bear fruit again? Oh, uh, yeah, exactly. Brutal stuff, right? <laughs> and that's what I'm saying. Like, that's, that's not violent. And there's, I think there's this very clean perspective. And I think there's an issue with that because firstly, I feel we're denying our own sin and not acknowledging that there is a lot of corruption. There is a lot of um, real nitty gritty to life. Yeah, yeah. Although we don't want it, it's there. It's honesty, it's truth, it exists. And so we we work through that. We're, we're surrounded by that. And God acknowledges that throughout the Old Testament. It's it's so clear in how he's like, right, well, you got yourself into this mess. And because I am a God of love and justice, it's, it's, um, I have this kind of image of because of the sin that we commit, you've got kind of two halves of God's personality. There's tension between these two halves. I kind of uh, see it like, like if you mesh your hands together, this is such a weird analogy. And Everyone I, at I, home, try this. <laughs> right. Hold out your hands yeah. and then like cross them as uh, with like your thumbs on top. Yeah. 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 I'm doing And it. then, You've got your fingers interlocked. Then try and separate them, but still like keep them interlocked. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, right. There's a war happening <laughs> between my left hand and my right hand. Oh. There we are. Exactly. So it's like that tension of like, yeah, they they coexist, and it it is God's personality, but it's it's us that create that kind of tension between them, and God's trying to hold on to both to be like, I am both um, just and loving and your sin is making these kind of it's creating this tension and so there are moments where it describes in exodus 34 how he's so slow to anger compassionate and abounding in love and it's the most quoted verse in all the bible it's referenced so often and all the prophets reference it because they know it to be true and all I'm thinking of is in Hosea, just before the exile occurs, yeah, yeah. Um, God expresses uh, through Hosea, like, um, how can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I give up this wonderful nation that I love, that I made a promise with Abraham? Yeah, I'm going to have to send them into exile because they've got to a point where they're sacrificing kids. They've lost all sense or hope and knowledge of who I am, really. And so... Um, I wrote about this, I think, a couple of weeks ago, where it's more like a mother who has a drug addict child. And it's like they there comes a time where you've got to keep um, letting them know it's not good for you. Trust me. I know you think like 
you've got it in control, you're not in control. And it gets to a point where the parent has to just take a massive step back and just, I think, detach themselves for a bit. And essentially, it's like that um, that child going through a talk. Um, bear in mind, obviously, I don't have experience in this. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, I'm talking from quite an outside point of view. So I apologize if this may seem a bit controversial, I guess. But um, I think person needs time to be in rehab to have that um to go through that pain and to go through that uh change mm. slowly efficiently and i feel this is what the nation of israel went through in their exile with babylon and it's that um i think that wonderful expression of god in hosea to be like ephraim how can i give you up is a very intimate detail of he knows what he has to do because he is just and because He's got the best intention for his children, but at the same time, um, yeah, he's just heartbroken. Mm. And that it's it's in that that I'm like, okay, you see God's personality come out here. And it's just like I bet I can guarantee there's so much of this across the entire biblical narrative. Yeah, yeah it's not yeah. really explored or acknowledged that much. I um, mean, it's um it's a very like like no matter what uh worldview you have that there is a philosophy that expresses this idea of the necessity for conflict where yeah. humans are concerned mm-hmm. um and uh we're going to be talking about rango as well soon but um this is something i just wanted to touch on from that um that I, at the beginning of the film he's uh talking about how you know um, that's what we're missing, conflict. There needs to be a random, ironic event that propels the hero into conflict. And then yeah. the conflict of the movie begins. He gets thrown <laughs> out of the car. Brilliant. It's uh, literally so good. So we'll be talking about that uh, before too long. Um, and um, yeah, so this idea, the necessity of conflict. And I, I think we see it a lot in stories, but we see it a lot in stories because it's also very uh, true of humanity and of real life this idea that people can have issues that they will never resolve because there's no conflict pushing them to resolve those issues Mm -hmm. um and it's it's only when there's that element of conflict like say for the israelites as as an example like they were not in a right standing with god and they would have never had that closeness to god that God wanted his children to have. Like when you see in, especially Hosea, as you rightly mentioned, there's such an expression of God's intimacy with humanity and the fact that he wants there to be that bond where we can be completely open with God about everything and he is totally merciful. Um, But in order to reach that point, there has to be a dramatic uh resurrection i suppose almost uh, a reworking of of the israelites so that there's that faithful remnant and it is a horrible time and there's a lot of bad that happens but mm-hmm. after they come out of that exile they are so much closer to god and like ask any christian who's been through suffering and they'll tell you the same that they came out of the other end grateful uh, not for the suffering itself but the fact that it moved them into a space where they could grow and that kind of that conflict was what motivated them to to discover these unresolved issues and actually work through them with god so that that's the thing is like the 
obviously there's a there's a point. It's not to say, you know, like, oh yeah, violence is justified because it causes character development. There are cases where, as we say, there's just obscene violence for the sake of violence. And I guess not to mistake uh, conflict for violence and that, oh, well, if, if conflict is necessary, then violence is necessary. What we're trying to uh, kind of expose here is this idea that violence is an extreme form of conflict and that usually when there is none of that conflict resolution in the, I guess, uh, less dramatic stuff, I suppose, there has to be that very extreme measure that occurs in order for change to happen. And it's it doesn't always have good results. Uh, there, mm-hmm. there are are times where that violence can can bring like a negative change, but it's that idea that when you've got those two forces that are interlocked, as Brandon so eloquently described with the like interlocked hands, there has to come a point where the force and the tension is just too much. There has to be a release. Um, so that's that's the thing when it comes to to violence is obviously not to glorify it, not to get used to it because we are looking forward to like uh, the recreation of the world as we know it and, and to be in God's presence where there is no hurt or pain or crying or anything like that. So we look forward to a world without violence, but in, in the meantime, we expect that violence is a part of this world and to try and come to terms with how we navigate that. Exactly. And it, you know, it's, it's growing in it, you know, um, growing hurts <laughs> and hence the term like growing pains. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's part of it. And I think perfectly said, you know, while we are here it is just acknowledging that. And I think it's just not hating on the fact that there is violence and conflict. And yeah, as you said, we're not, necessarily just vouching for violence definitely not but where we can't oppose it and ignore it as if it doesn't exist because it plays a very very important part a crucial part in describing the history of our humanity and our current humanity today so it's essential and Mm. the more that we can talk about it and discuss it like we are now um, I think the the better our walk with God and with each other will be. Definitely. And yeah, I guess in, in terms of like the living out the Christian walk, like we are called to be peaceful and to love our enemies and to not engage with the violence of the world. Um, but as well, there's that uh, kind of reminder from Jesus that we are we are to be innocent as doves but also as shrewd as serpents. We've got to be, we've got to have that kind of wisdom and knowledge of how this world works. And it's a broken world. So we've got to know how it's broken and what that means for us and what we're probably going to encounter as a result of that brokenness. We're we're not called to add to the brokenness. That's ridiculous. Like as Paul Mm -hmm. says, we, we shouldn't go on sinning just because we're forgiven. But there is this idea, yeah, we, we need to acknowledge that there is violence in this world, that there are forms of conflict that are not resolved and there are hard-hearted people. And yeah, like to, to not shy away from that discussion just because it's a tough one to have. Yeah. And on that note, 
I'm going to violently press the stop button. Ah!